And maybe this would describe you today. If your life right now is filled with anxiety and worry and fear and striving, you are not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. And so you add, what do I do then in times of crisis? It seems that the natural bent is worry, fear, and anxiety. I know. I happen to be one of those guys that lends myself toward worry. I hate it. I wish I didn't have it. So I, I know, I, I totally understand how a person can be, well, I don't understand you, but I don't understand it for me, how a person can be overwhelmed with anxiety and fear and worry and stuff. Those are real emotions. I just want to remind you that as much as you feel your emotions, sometimes they lie to you and they don't tell you the truth. Only God's word is going to tell you the truth and it's going to be able to speak through the emotion of the event and of the crisis. This is amazing grace. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Today, we'll be finishing up John chapter 4. And Pastor Ed, it's not hard to see the applicability of today's passage to where people all around the world are at right now. Whether we're talking about the war in Ukraine, the economic crisis with rising inflation, or the pandemic, we all know what a crisis feels like. And today, you're going to show us what we're to do when a crisis hits. Can you kind of set the table for us? Well, I know in in our Bible study, the word desperation comes up. Uh, we talked about it in the introduction, didn't we? Um, the state of despair where you lose hope, where there is a, a hopelessness that takes root, and it it's all kind of connected with worry and fear and anxiety and uh, how they all go together along with stress and things outside of our control. And, and you know, with a dad... Uh, gripped with these emotions, it's super hard. You know, it's super hard to, to, to think of the devastation of watching, you know, your son dying or close to death. Or, I mean, I, I, I've been there, and uh, even seeing my son die, and and because of the laws of the land and such, we had no ability to help him. It was outside of our control, and it was it made us very desperate in prayer, twenty four hours, seven day a week vigil at my son's bedside between my wife and I, Marie. And you know, crisis can come large; they can come small, but when they come, they come heavy. And it's important that you know that you have a God that loves you. That no matter what happens, whether it happens the way you want it to happen or it happens the way you didn't expect, God remains faithful. And he's going to accomplish his will in your life. He's going to take it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he's working all things together for the good. And yeah, sometimes he does heal. Sometimes it works out exactly as you were desperate for. But sometimes it works out the opposite. And I think the Lord is just teaching us that in our desperation, that we're desperate for him. And we're desperate to be right with him. We're desperate to stay close to him, abiding in him. And I just want you to know in your crisis today, I'm really sorry if you're listening to this on the way to the hospital. I'm really sorry if you're listening to this on the way home from a funeral home. 
or after signing divorce papers or after losing your job or not having money at the end of the month to pay, whatever it is, my heart's with you. Um, and just know the Lord loves you and, and you won't get over it, but you will get through it. Jesus is our good shepherd and he's going to be with us even through, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He's faithful. He loves you. And we here at Calvary, we love you too. And we pray for you often. Well, with that, let's get into today's Bible study. Before we head back in John chapter 4, Pastor Ed pays a quick visit to the Gospel of Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. We have an instruction from Jesus through a parable. The Bible is so cool because when Jesus teaches something, there's an illustration of what it looks like somewhere in the Bible. So here's the teaching in Luke 18, and the nobleman is the example. This is what it looks like. So we're going to go backwards a little bit, picking up in verse 1. Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he says, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. This would have been a temptation for him to lose heart when he just says, My son is sick. Well, you know what? You just want signs and wonders. No, no, he didn't stop. He kept saying, No, my son is sick. I need your help. So a great example. It's, and then he gives the illustration Jesus does in Luke 18 when he says, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Verse 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out night and day to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's the kind of attitude we need to have when we're praying. Persistence. Keep knocking, continually coming. So can I ask you, are you praying for your son that's backslidden? Or are you coddling him, making it easier for his backsliding? Are you praying for your daughter? Or are you discouraged now that she's been backsliding so long you just don't, you don't pray the same way? Are you praying for that husband if that illustration was close to home for you? Are you praying for your husband? Are you praying for your wife? You raise them in the way that, sh- that, you know, your kids, you raise them in the way they should go. In your marriage, you used to walk together to the house of God, but you've prayed for them a month and then nothing happened. You prayed for them for six months and nothing happened. No, you need to keep seeking. You need to keep asking. You need to keep knocking. And this is the lesson that we learned from this man. He would not be discouraged. He kept praying no matter what. Because listen to this. This is so cool. People who you're praying for can escape your presence, but they can't escape your prayers. I like that. It was J. Sidlow Baxter, the great Baptist preacher, that said this, and I quote, Men can spurn our appeals. They can neglect our message. They can oppose our arguments. They can even despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Such a powerful tool God has given us. So he keeps praying. He gets an odd answer. It's unusual. It's not what you would expect. I mean, I'm desperate. This is a cra- This situation is beyond. I mean, my son is at his last breath, God. And his answer was, well, unless they'll see it. And he doesn't quit. I love that. Back in John now. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. He doesn't throw in the towel. And because he wasn't personally offended... And he was in the spirit in the moment. He was not a believer yet, but he's there doing the right thing. He was able to hear the next words that Jesus had for him. He didn't run away. Jesus said to him, verse 50, go your way, your son lives. 
Oh, what joy those words bring to dad. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. And this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. (laughs) This is amazing. Jesus puts a test before this man. There's no proof that his son's alive. It's not like they have the test results. They don't have an MRI. They don't have the x-rays. They don't have the little thermometer that his fever went away. He has nothing but the word of God. So often that's the case where we are. We have nothing but the word of God. Even sometimes when the test results say something differently to undermine our faith. When it's clearly there on the x-ray or the MRI is, oh, oh, bad news. And it just sinks our faith and discourages us. And then we start to give in to fear and start making our decisions by fear. And then we're all over and then we're anxious. And then we start making bad decisions on bad decisions. And before you know it, the fear has replaced faith. What this man had was the word of God. You know what you have? The word of God. We're on equal plane with this man right here. This miracle. This miracle that God has done. And so Jesus puts a test before him. Go home. It's done. And so the man believed and went home. And along the way, God revealed what he was doing. He meets his servants. His servants say, hey, your son's great. Hey, what time did that happen? Oh, well, this about this time yesterday. And, and oh, well, man, that's when I was talking to Jesus yesterday. And it's just amazing how God will answer with giving us faith. You know, the Bible says that God has given to us all a measure of faith. And the definition of faith, you Bible students know, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. God gave his approval to people in the days of old because of their faith. And by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Faith. Now, don't miss this. It takes a careful reading. We kind of read through fast, but it takes a careful reading. I just want to draw it out for you so you can see that there is a place of rest and peace in great crisis. Because here's, here's a man, desperate in desperation, coming to Jesus. He's imploring and praying for the health of his son. He, he, he goes through this thing that could easily offend him, and he just takes it, doesn't even let it. He takes it spiritual. No, I'm here for my son. I'm not here for myself. Oftentimes when we take things personally, it's all about us. It's all about our hurt and our pain. Instead of taking things spiritually, it's our life now belongs to God, and it's all about God, all about him. When we take things, things spiritually, so he does that. He is there and receives, doesn't, he's not stumbled, he's not offended. I just, I need help with my son. And because he didn't run away, he got to hear these words, your son lives. Your son lives. The next phrase says he's on his way home, he meets his servants, but his servants say that what the healing took place when Jesus was talking to the man yesterday. You know what that tells me? That, that he, the man came on this journey in desperation 17 miles as fast as he could. But once he got the word of the Lord, he didn't go home right away. It sounds like to me he spent the night because he didn't go back. It didn't go back until the next day. So whatever it was, whether he took a much slower pace going home or he went and rested and then went home and traveled overnight, we don't know exactly. We do know that he didn't go back as fast as he came. <laughs> so in between with the crisis of desperation and the answer of God and the healing 
There's a time of rest. The way you and I can rest on the promises of God. That we can rest. He doesn't know for sure. All Jesus said was he was healed. That's it. He doesn't know. Except by faith he trusts. And in faith there's rest. There's peace that passes all understanding. There is ability to sleep and rest and know that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. How different the scene must have been of him on his way to Jesus. You know, I get the picture if he was riding a horse, you know, just dun, 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 dun. the nostrils of the horse are really big. And he's running down, his big hair is flowing in the wind and like he's on his way. People can't catch up to him. On the way home, dun, 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 you know, a little clippity-clop, clippity-clop, clippity-clop. You're like, hey, God has answered. I am not in any hurry. My boy's great. Everything's fine. I trust the Lord. He's my God. I take him at his word. Oh, I know sometimes we pray for things and the answer comes in the way that we don't want. What do we do then? We trust in the word of God. We trust him. That God knows more than we do. That he understands our plight and our humanity and that he's sovereign and we can trust him. He rides back in a leisurely way and the difference is this amount of faith that God has given him. Listen, friend. If your life right now is filled with anxiety and worry and fear and striving, you are not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. And so you add, what do I do then in times of crisis? It seems that the natural bent is worry, fear, and anxiety. I know. I happen to be one of those guys that lends myself toward worry. I hate it. I wish I didn't have it, but I worry. I worry. Marie, on the other hand, she doesn't worry about anything. I mean, nothing seems to bother her. She just is able to take things, you know, I'll take something, go, what if, what if, what about? And she's like, well, you know, Marie doesn't worry. She doesn't even worry about being on time. <laughs> she's just kind of that personality. That's why I think God brought us together. So I, I know, I, I totally understand how a person can be, well, I don't understand you, but I don't understand it for me, how a person can be overwhelmed with anxiety and fear and worry and stuff. Those are real emotions. If you were to come to me and go, you know, I've got all these emotions. I'm not going to argue with you about what you're feeling. I know you're feeling it. I just want to remind you that as much as you feel your emotions, sometimes they lie to you. And they don't tell you the truth. Only God's word is going to tell you the truth. And it's going to be able to speak through the emotion of the event and of the crisis. And so before we leave, what do I do in the midst of a crisis? Very easy and very simple. Nothing by way of newness. These are all reminders. But let, let me lay them before you just so... In case a crisis is up ahead for you, which it will be, here's how to be prepared. Number one, when a crisis hits, what are we to do? Run to Jesus. That's what this guy did. Run to Jesus. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, you can read it later. It says, to casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Don't run all over the place. Don't try to fix it. Don't, don't try to control it. Don't try, just run to Jesus. Go, turn, be anxious for nothing, the Bible says. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You notice I didn't say that from my Bible, that I memorized it? Because that, if you deal with worry, you need to memorize that verse. Those verses in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. Run to him. Turn to him. He's the God of the crisis. The God in the crisis. Number two, pray. That's what this man does. He runs to Jesus and he prays. He begs, God, help me. Help me. Uh, this one I want to show you, Matthew chapter 7. Would you turn there with me, Matthew 7? 
Pray and accept God's answer, not yours. Pray and accept God's answer and not yours. Pray without ceasing. But notice here, the reason why we should run to Jesus and the reason why we should pray is because of who God is, not what he's going to do. First, who God is. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Isn't aren't those great? When you ask, it, you'll, be, you'll get. When you knock, the door will open. When you seek, you'll find. He says in verse 8, For everyone who seeks, or excuse me, asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, he'll give him a stone? I mean, come on. Say, like son wants a, a sandwich and you make ham, cheese, and you put some rocks in there. A gravel sandwich. And then you hide around the corner just looking at his teeth all crunching. You know? And he's like, ah, no, you know, there, there's some bad dads there. But for the most part, that's not a dad. That would be a bad dad, not a good dad. Or if he asked for a fish, would he, verse 10, give him a serpent? I mean, seriously, not a little goldfish, but here's a rattlesnake. So here you go, my gift to you. Or in Luke chapter 11, if, you ask, if he asked for an egg, would he give him a scorpion? I mean, really? Can we have eggs and bacon this morning, Dad? No. But I've got a few scorpions to fry up for you, son. I mean, no, no. I mean, Jesus, again, he uses exaggeration to make a point. But check this out. I've got a buddy. His name is Jaime. He was at Calvary Chapel Downey after I left. I mean, we, we became friends. He went off to Montana. He was helping at Fresh Life there. Now he's in Albuquerque. And he and I have been friends. We've been texting and calling in Albuquerque. I didn't know this. Maybe you know this because you're from Albuquerque. But they have a scorpion problem there. Now, this is a young guy in a young family with a young child. And the issues that they're having right now is scorpions in the house with their baby. And it's freaking them out. Would it freak you out? I think so. Unless, unless you're a bad dad. <laughs> it's like, well, son, I found a scorpion. Here, let me put it in the crib for you, and you can play with him tonight. No, no nobody does that. But I'm following Jaime. There was one time, it was so bad there, and they're just kind of praying. They get the exterminator out. Nobody's fixing it. Like they, there was one time, you could follow him on Twitter if you want. I'll, sh- I'll give you his Twitter. You can follow him because this is where I get a lot of information from him. In the morning, they showed a picture. He showed a picture. He said something. He goes, there is a scorpion in our house, and we can't find him. It's like, okay, what do you do? You just put your kid in the crib, go into the other room, and fall asleep? No way. Like there is great, there is great anxiety in them. And then later on, they found the scorpion. But can you imagine? That's become a way of their life. No, good dads and good moms protect their kids from scorpions. They give their kids what's best for them. They don't swap. And they don't make it easy for their children to be hurt. They make it easy for their children to be protected. That's the nature of your... God says this, if human dads do that... How much more will your heavenly father? That's what he says in chapter 7 here. If you then, verse 11, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? You could trust him. And even if you perceive something as not good, trust God that he knows. He's going to use it. So run, pray. Number three, trust. Trust. Trust God no matter how it looks. Because those of you that have been around long enough know that what you see is not the whole story. What you see is not always what you get. And that's why, that's why sometimes we picked up this phrase that we will believe it when we see it. And that's sort of like the faith here. I'll believe it when I see it. And, and, and that for good reason sometimes because there are things that, you know, we can get skeptical where we get a, a situation or a deal where it seems to be too good to be true. 
And if something's too good to be true, then you want to have some facts there. You want to get more facts so that you will believe it first. Uh, and then first you'll see the facts and then you'll believe it. But with God, it's not that way. With God, you believe and then you see. You trust and then God reveals himself. I know a lot of you have been really frustrated in your life because in times you have, you have come to a crisis and because you were raised in a godly home or somebody gave you a Bible, you would go over to the shelf and pull the Bible off and start looking for the answer to life's issues. Because I know, and I, the Bible says this, and I know it to be true, that everything has been given to us pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what that means is there is an answer to everything in your life. There's an answer through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But then you pull out the Bible and you say, I've read the Bible and I don't get it. I don't understand any of it. And there's a reason for that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're blind. You can't see spiritual things. So because you read it. I mean, I know it's a piece of paper with ink just like any other book, but this is not like any other book. You need spiritual eyes to understand this. Because the Bible is not like any other book ever on the planet. The Bible is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And unless you have a relationship with God, you'll never understand the Bible. I remember even as a kid growing up, going into these places of difficulty, I'd pull the Bible off the shelf, my parents' Bible. I'd read through it. I couldn't understand a word. I mean, I read the words and I knew what the words meant, but they meant nothing to me in any kind of connection with God. I needed to be born again, like Jesus said. You must be born again. You and I must be born again. So we have run, pray, trust... The scripture for that is John chapter 14, when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. They're about to witness the most traumatic event in their lives, the disciples, the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust God, no matter how it looks. Fourthly and finally, accept God. Accept God's word by faith, resisting worry. Are you a prob- Do you have a problem with worry and anxiety? The way you grow in faith is by resisting worry. Don't feed it, don't play into it, don't what if it, but resist worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, all the way through. That's one of my favorite passages. Jesus says over and over again, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Look at the lilies of the field. You know, we looked at that in our study last time. Trust God no matter how it looks, resisting worry. And maybe you've gone through a crisis recently. Maybe you're going through one right now and you're wondering what to do. You need to come to Jesus with the attitude of saying, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what the answer is, but I put it into your hands right now. I trust you, life or death. Why? Because everyone will die and meet God. Everyone. And perhaps God is using a set of circumstances in your life to bring you to a place of faith, to bring you to a place of commitment, so you'll call upon the Lord. So you'll draw near to him. You might say, well, pastor, it's hard for me to believe. I need some proof. You have to show me that God's real. Show me and I'll believe. And yet Jesus essentially saying, believe me and I'll show you. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. And if you just take a step of faith today, you'll see what God will do for you. If you will believe him and take a step of faith, God will reveal himself to you. He will meet you in the situation. He will be the God of the crisis and the God in the crisis. You know why? Because he already is. He's already there. Example after example of God being with us in the crisis being the God of the crisis, having sovereign power and control over it. So trust him today, would you? Trust him. And there you have four great things to do when a crisis hits from Pastor Ed Taylor. This is Abounding Grace. We've titled this study from John chapter 4, When Crisis Hits. And you can hear it again at aboundinggraceradio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app, 
This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. So let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Pastor Ed Taylor's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Now, this is a must-read for anyone who has a heavy heart or is greatly discouraged. It's a collection of truthful reminders of God's help for your troubled heart. While we all share stories of pain, If we're not careful, we can find ourselves refusing to accept and receive the healing that Jesus readily gives. Join Pastor Ed as he steps into our pain and shows us how to live a life full of faith even as we go through painful trials. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. We ask for a donation of $25 or more. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.